All right. We love technology. Um, letter to the Ephesians. That's what we've been, we've been working through over the last little while. And I, th- I don't know about you guys, but I think it's been a great walk um, to be able to go through it. Now, John gave us a bit of a, a, um, a, an idea of what Ephesians was about right from the start. But I want to I wanna talk a little bit more. I want to have a bit of a revamp about it today as well. The, the letter to the Ephesians has two halves. And we've, we've just finished the first half, the first three chapters. And for a little context, the first three chapters lead us into Christian theology, this understanding of the truth about who God is, who Jesus, his son, is, who God is in the world, who God is in us, and who we are in him. Not only that, but how it all works out. The interesting thing is that if we just read the first three chapters of Ephesians, more often I think we would have a greater fundamental understanding of who we are in Jesus that would eliminate so many of the doubts and so many of the concerns and the questions that we would have as Christians. We need to actually have a fundamental understanding of the truth each one of us individually and as the church, and we need to grasp it, at least in an elementary way. Because the reality is that truth sets us free. That's, that's the reality. Jesus came to set us free, not that, to take us out of bondage. The truth also sets us on a surer path and it strengthens our hope. And that's what we're about, isn't it? We are people of hope. This is so important. It is important for us as individuals, but it's important for us as people, as individuals that come together as the body of Christ. In the first three chapters, we read about the incredible grace of Jesus and the love that he lavishes on us as believers. When we read these first three chapters, it paints this incredibly lavish picture of of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And it's so easy to forget. He is the one who has transversed the universe to come to this little blue dot upon which a sin-stained race lives. And he came here to take away our sin. He did that because his very nature is love. He is the one who gave himself. He is the redeemer, the purchaser back, the buyer of our souls. He is the forgiver of sins and the one who chose us before the creation of the world. Are you starting to hear who you are in him and who he is in you? He is the one who adopts us and seals us with the seal of a king. Stamp at that when he spoke those last words, it is finished. And he sends us the promised Holy Spirit. He is the one who has the indisputable and incomparable power to save us. And he demonstrates that through his resurrection. He says, I lay my life down and I take it up again. This is the power of our Lord. 
And now through the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and by faith in his saving work, we are made alive by the indwelling spirit. We were dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses and our guilt. But we are now alive. We are made alive by his justification and his forgiveness. Remember, I'm saying these are the fundamental doctrines, the fundamental truths of who we are as Christians. But these sometimes are words that we as Christians these days are not used to. Redemption, resurrection, we know the resurrection, justification. These are really, really important words for us because they have such incredible meaning. We were once those who had no control We didn't even desire to have control over our mortal bodies. It was like, just do what you want to do. We are now those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit wants to work out through us. And one of those things, of course, is self-control. We now have the power to do what we couldn't do before. We are those who are filled by the Holy Spirit that we might now live different lives to that which we once lived. We were once sons and daughters of disobedience. All of us. Each one of us. And it doesn't matter how early we came to faith or how late we came to faith. That's who we were. We were sons and daughters, children of disobedience. And as a result of that, we deserve the wrath of God. The poured out righteous judgment of God belonged to us. But that's not who we are anymore. We are now brought near by the blood of Christ. We are those who are in intimate relationship with the one who rose again. Never again, never again to be deserving of wrath. That's us. But sometimes what happens is that when we're talking to brothers and sisters in Jesus, it's like I've done this wrong thing. And Jesus, God is just going to punish me for that. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is Christian theology. This is the truth about who we are, who God is, who God is in us and who we are in God and God's work in this world in which he has established and which he chooses to use us in. Experience tells me though, that we need to be reminded of these things over and over and over because we are forgetful. We have to hear these truths over and over because temptations and trials come on us all the time. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to distract us away from the truths that are ours, the power that is ours, the freedom that is ours, and he brings trials and he brings temptations. And as we've heard about even this morning, death and the fear of death. But Jesus comes that we might have life. Jesus comes that we can be certain, that we can be absolutely certain of who we are in him and what we can expect. We are ones that can say to me, I am to the devil, I am a Christian and you have no control over me. Martin Luther, there's a, somebody wrote about Martin Luther and it says he counsels men to answer all temptations of, of Satan this way. Christianus sum. Bit of Latin for you this morning. I am a Christian. 
And what he's saying there is that, you know, when every trial comes away, every temptation comes away, every time you have an opportunity to choose, what language will I use? Will I use this language or this language? I am a Christian. I choose this language. Where am I going to walk today? Am I going to walk on that dark path or am I going to walk on this light? I am a Christian and I choose the light path. How am I going to deal with that person that I don't necessarily like that much, though I'm going to see them today? I am a Christian. I'm going to love them as Jesus loves them. How wonderful it would be if we have that freedom in our hearts the whole time to say immediately, I am a Christian and I'm going to choose right and I'm going to choose life because we understand the fundamental truths of who we are in Jesus. Chapter 4 is where we're at today. It's the beginning of the second half of the letter. And it's in the second part of this letter that we actually are talking about Christian living. It's the part of the letter that says Christians should live this way. Now, without the first part, without the truths, without knowing who we are in Jesus, we can't do this. But God says, and Paul says, you know what? It's no longer impossible for you. It's no longer impossible for you to live a right life. It was impossible once because we were dead, but we are now alive. We are alive in Christ. We have the Spirit of Christ living in us. And though this Christian life, we have the power to live it, it's very possible for us to live it's also very difficult. And I have to say to you, even through the week that we've just had, I have struggled with things. I have wrestled with walking this Christian life. It's not easy. But God is the power in us. So let's read our passage this morning. It says, Therefore I... The prisoner united with the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Always be humble, gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love and making every effort to preserve the unity the Spirit gives through the binding power of peace. There is one body and one Spirit Just as when you were called, you were called to one hope. And there is one Lord, one faith, one immersion, and one God, the Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is in all. And I just want to thank God for his holy word. The passage this morning is the passage from where we get our theme for the year. Does anyone know what our theme for the year is? Nice work, nice work. Focus on the one in 2021. So the passage starts off with therefore, and we all know it. Well, at least many of us know it. If we see therefore in the scriptures, what should we do? Sorry? That's right. See what therefore is therefore. And the therefore in this one is talking about all that has gone before. All that, those first three chapters 
are saying, therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord. So what it means is, in view of, in light of, as a result of all that I've just said about God and his power and what we've learned about who we are in Christ, now do. So that's what we're about to look at this morning, looking at the beginning of the consequential response in us to all the things that we've just heard about in the first three chapters, all that God has done, is doing and promises to do in the rest of our lives through his Son by faith. Therefore, I, the prisoner united with the Lord. Whenever we hear the word Lord, it comes with that connotation that there is a, he's a superior. The person that we're calling is superior. He's above his headship, he's a leader over us or something like that. The sense that someone is superior. But when we, anybody, says that word Lord, we're actually saying of ourselves that we are under, that we are subservient to, we are less than that one that we are calling Lord. And I think that's exactly what's, what's being said here. When we say, Lord, we are placing ourselves in the right position that Jesus is above and we are under and that's the right relationship. And I think this is certainly how Scripture presents the idea of our relationship with God. Paul also uses the word prisoner. And, of course, he physically was. He was actually a prisoner. He was under arrest for a crime of believing and preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. However, I think there's a, another layer, I think there's another meaning to this word prisoner that Paul is talking about here. I think that what's happening is that Paul is saying that he is willingly binding himself to the Lord. He is saying, I willingly am shackled, I am willingly handcuffed to Jesus. And as is the case for a prisoner, if, if, the, if the warden commands a prisoner to do something, there's no bargaining, there's no choice, there's no I'll get around to it, you just obey. You're told and you do. And I think that's what Paul is trying to promote here, that if Jesus asks us to do something, that we should do it. We are prisoners to him. But I have to ask sometimes, and I have to ask this of myself, is this my language? Is this my thinking at times? Do I, do I, sometimes do I think that I am a prisoner of the Lord? Do I, am I listening and willing to obey what it is that he commands me to do? And again, I have to be honest that even if I do think this way, sometimes it seems I don't have the capacity to work it out. I really want to do something because I know it's right, but there's too much going on. I've got to do, I've got to be somewhere else. And in those situations, I'm often reminded of the verse, they honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Paul recognises Jesus as his superior, as his master, as his Lord, but he also recognises that he himself is a prisoner of the king. But in that verse we see there's a relationship word. 
And the word that he uses is not what you would normally find in a prisoner guard situation. And the word is united. United with. Romans talks about us being united with him in his death, united with him in his resurrection, united with him in his suffering. There is a union between Paul and between his Lord. There's a relationship and it changes things. It changes us from being people of obedience in fear of punishment and condemnation to people who are willingly obedient. Paul says, in effect, as I am together with you, Lord, I am willing to do. And that's a challenge. That's a challenge for us as Christians. It's a challenge for me. It's tough. We often obey out of fear and fear of punishment from God. But Paul is saying to us to, that the way to live is as a willing servant to a master in whom we are in relationship, within whom we are in relationship. And this is the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus. This is the way we ought to live in union with Christ, in union with our brothers and sisters in Jesus. Verse, next we go, it says, beg, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And I love, I love this passage. I beg, can you imagine? Here is Paul, the super apostle. And he's, he's standing there in front of whoever it is or he's, he's thinking as he's writing this letter and he's saying, you know what? I beg you. I beseech you. I urge you. I plead with you. I strenuously encourage you and others to do something. Something that once you didn't have the capacity to do, but now you do. He strenuously wants us, commands us, to live a life worthy. Not just hope, not just think, not just to, not just to live, but to actually move and work and be worthy. Whenever we say uh, we want to live worthy, we're saying that there is a higher standard. There is a, a higher level to aspire to. And I kind of imagine it's like if the queen invited you to dinner at her house, palace. If the queen invited you to dinner at her palace, you wouldn't go in your grubby old high-vis work clothes with your steel caps, would you? You know that there is a level that's worthy to aspire to, to have dinner with the queen. And there's a calling on each one of us that we are to aspire to be worthy of. There is a salvation that we have received that we should aspire to be worthy of. It's such a great salvation that we have received. It's no ordinary thing and we should aspire to that. Now we all know that we can't live a perfectly righteous life. Not this side of eternity anyway. Um, until the day that Jesus comes and transforms us in the twinkling of an eye, we are going to be struggling with the sin remnant that is still in our flesh. 
But we have must have to we have to have a longing. There must be an overflow. Jesus lives in our heart, and and, and he says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the overflow of the heart, the life lives, and we must be willing to allow who lives in us to overflow from us. We're also told that in our flesh no good thing dwells. Romans 7:18 tells us that. We can't do this thing of our own self-will. It's impossible. It's impossible for us to do it. We can only do it though through Christ who strengthens us. Christ who lives in our heart, who dwells in our heart. Ephesians 3:17 to 19. Always be humble, gentle, and patient, bearing with one another in love. How easy is that? That's just we're all over that, right? Man, it's such a slog sometimes. I'm telling you that for me at times this is the hardest thing to do. It's a constant battle that rages in me, and I know when I have conversations with other people, it's the same for them as well. We have to remember. Paul is speaking to Christian people and how to treat people and how to do life with Christian people, to do body life. And of course, this applies to those outside the church, but there's a higher calling for us, the way we treat each other inside the church, the way we treat one another as the body of Christ. To be humble, to be gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. When and how often should we be humble and gentle and patient and loving? Always. And if that's the case, I am done for. I'm a failure. Thanks be to God that I am not saved by my works. I'm saved by grace through faith. Well, how am I? How how then am I to? One of the things that I was as I was thinking about that though, is that we are all on a journey. 18 years ago, I started walking with the Lord. And when I look back, I know that I am different. I know that he has changed me. I am more humble, but not perfectly so. I am more gentle, though not perfectly so. I don't know about patience, though. That's still a big work in progress. Bearing with one another in love, I think I'm better than I used to be 18 years ago. But again, I know that I'm still walking, just like the rest of us in this journey with Jesus to become more patient, more Christ-like, more humble, all of those things. And he hasn't finished his work. Don't be impatient with yourselves, but be ever repentant. Be ever coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, you've seen what I've done. And today, my heart's desire is to turn and walk your way again. But should I fail again, Lord, I will repent again. Thank you for what you have done. I look forward to what you are about to do. And making every effort to to preserve the unity the Spirit gives through the binding power of peace. Make every effort. Make every effort means to spend energy on, to work on, to, to yeah, drive toward. Paul is speaking as one who is filled with the Spirit of God. 
and the fullness of God lives in him, yet he realizes that to live a life worthy of this high calling, it's going to take work. It's going to take daily choice, choosing moment by moment to take every thought captive to Christ. Every thought. Will I know I'm a Christian? I take that thought and I take it captive. Oftentimes I forget to stop and take the thought. God's working on me there as well. So what's this energy then to be directed to? What is the work to be directed to? It's being directed to preserve the unity the Spirit gives through the binding power of peace. And when you look at these things, when we look at um, the, the, uh, unity and the Spirit and peace, all of those things come from Jesus. All of them come from Jesus. It's rather not where do they come from, but whom do they come from. And when we look in John fourteen sixteen and John fifteen twenty six, John sixteen seven, it says about the giving of the Spirit. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate and will teach you all things and testify of me. He is the Spirit of truth. Unity is the big thing. Unity is that very big thing within church. Whether it's unity in oneness or one-heartedness in the relationships that we find ourselves in, in our marriages, in our friendships in the community, here in the church, it's about unity. Unity is the high priority. Unity means without division. It doesn't mean without difference, but what it does mean is that if we have differences, we still can remain unified. We don't have to have division with difference. Charles Spurgeon wrote, we want unity in the truth of God through the Spirit of God. This let us seek after. Let us live near to Christ. For this is the best way of promoting unity. Divisions in churches never begin with those full of love for their Saviour. I think that is worth remembering. Jesus speaks in 14, uh, John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Christ is our peace. If we want peace, we find it in Christ. And that's what the scripture says. And so often what happens is I give my peace away. You know, once I thought that people could have taken my peace or I've lost my peace, but the reality is that we can't lose our peace. Somebody can't take our peace. We give it away. Every time we don't have peace, it's because we have given it away. We've allowed ourselves to move away from peace. When I move away from closeness with Jesus, with intimacy, with intimacy with Jesus, the one who drew me near, I lose my peace. 
when the world presses on me, when relationships are difficult, when the work piles up, when parenthood is difficult, when relationships are not as easy as they could be, when stress levels rise and I start to condemn myself, I forget. I forget that I need to draw near to Jesus, the one who gives me peace. We give our peace away. And how do we get it back? We come back to Jesus. We come back to Jesus. There is one body and one spirit. Just as when you were called, you were called to one hope. And there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism and one God, the Father over all, who rules over all, works through all and is in all. These are seven identifying characteristics of true unity within the church. The body, of course, is made up of believers in Christ, those who have come with their individual gifts that the Spirit gives to be used together as gifts for the mission of the world. There is unity in the body when we recognize our individual gifts and bring them together to use them without criticism, without envy and without jealousy. There are times I have to confess that sometimes I look at somebody else's gift and I go, oh, I wish I had that gift. Or I am actually sometimes even a little jealous that I didn't receive that gift. But what I'm doing is saying, no thanks, Holy Spirit, for the ones you gave me. We should be satisfied with what Jesus has given us because all of our individual gifts bring us together to make us the body. One Spirit. Of course, the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. That's what's been, who, is, who is being spoken about here. And He is the same Spirit who lives in all of us who believe. And this is really important to understand. You don't have your Spirit and I don't have my Spirit and we don't have our Spirit. It's the same Spirit, the same unifying Spirit that lives in all of us and that's His calling on our lives. He works in us to draw us to oneness. One hope. We live in a world that is devoid of certain hope and we hear it and we see it all the time. We just have to turn on the news and we see buildings being broken down and things set on fire and people being verbally abused and Dr. Dr. Seuss books being taken off shelves and all sorts of crazy nonsense that's going on in our world is because people don't have hope. There's no certain hope. We're always chasing after things that are elusive. We think that we can find hope in the stock market. We think we can find hope in relationships. We think we can find hope in that next new thing. But it's always elusive because we get it and it moves and we're after something else. We have one hope and that one hope is found in Jesus Christ. Amen, yes. We're not going to find it in anything in the world. And when we come to realize that we have a certain hope, a fervent hope, an unwavering hope in Jesus Christ and Him alone, it takes away so much of the struggle of sin, so much of the attractiveness of the world. Hope binds us together. One Lord, there is only one who is our head. 
There is only one who is our master. There is only one who is the mediator between God and man. Jesus Christ. There is only one who saves us. One faith. Each one of us are saved by the goodness of God. That's the only the only way that we are saved. By the goodness of God, the grace of God, by believing on the Son. There is no other way. There's only one small gate and there's only one narrow path and each one of us in the body of Christ walk that same path, all of us together. We're not walking our own little path. We're not blazing our own little trail. We're all on this path together. None of us deserve to be on this path. No one has earned their way onto this path. We receive it as a gift. One baptism. There is a bit of a difference of opinion about what this baptism is being talked about in this passage. Some say, some scholars say it's to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and some say it's to do with water baptism. But you know what? At the end of the day, with regard to this passage, it really doesn't matter. Because Christians do both. The moment that we believe, all of us are baptized in the Spirit. We are filled, we are washed, we are cleaned by the Holy Spirit who comes and lives and reigns in us. But we are also, as Christians, obedient to the call of water baptism in our lives. That is what we both do. The spiritual act of spiritual baptism is God's responsibility. The obedience act of water baptism is ours. But that's our call as Christian brothers and sisters. There is one God. And how grateful I am that there is only one God. I would so not like to be a, a, a person of a religion that has multitudes of gods because I'll be so worried if I, if I worship this God for this half an hour, do, do I give, if I only worship this one for 29 minutes, am I going to be under condemnation? What a terrible place it would be to be in a religion that has so many gods that you're so worried. Which is the highest priority one? Which is the preeminent one? We have one God. We don't have a multitude. We believe that this one God is sovereign. He is ruler over all, over everything that he has made, over everything in the world. He is ruler over our very lives. He is ruler over our souls. He is our guide. He is the one who speaks to us and leads us. He chooses to do his work through us into the lives of those within our church and within our community. He is the one who fills the whole earth in every way. We, each one of us, have that same one God. And when we take a look at these seven characteristics, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, when we look at all of those they are unifying. They draw us together. They are things that we all believe. They bind us together. It gives us one purpose and one heart.
really think that that's what Paul is talking about in these small, these first six verses, is before we can go on in the rest of this book, the rest of the way we live our Christian life, we have to do Christian life as one. We can't do it as separate bits and pieces. You can't be a body that has an arm flopping over here and a leg flopping over there because it's never going to work. We are one bound together in unity. I want to just read that passage one more time. It says, Therefore, the pr- I, the prisoner united with the Lord, beg you to leave a li- lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Always be humble, gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love and making every effort to preserve the unity the Spirit gives through the binding power of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called, you were called, you were called to one hope. And there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is in all. And I just want to recap. I just want a a recap about some of those things that we can often struggle with. When we struggle with the fear of punishment when we do things wrong, how do we deal with that? We go back to Jesus. We find ourselves in his presence. When we live a moment feeling that we are burdened and defeated when we when we look like we are downcast like we shouldn't live as Christians where, where where do we go to deal with that we go to Jesus we find ourselves in the intimate relationship with Jesus when we're struggling to be humble when we're struggling to be patient and kind and struggling to be long suffering with with our situations and difficult people, when we're not feeling the God love that should be in us, where do we go? We go to Christ. We go back to Jesus. When we don't feel that unity of love one for another as Christian brothers and sisters, where do we go? We go back to Jesus. There is no other when we don't feel like we have the energy to press on, where do we go? We go back to Jesus. When we feel like we're going to be critical or envious or jealous of whatever it might be, when we recognize those issues that are in our lives, where do we go? We go back to Jesus. We go back to Jesus. In all of our struggles, in all of our troubles that we find in life, the answer is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Saviour, our King, the one who brings peace and unity. Let's pray. Father, we have heard incredible truths this morning. But Lord, you know us as human beings. You know how distracted we can be. 
you know the things that fill our eyes and fill our ears at times, Lord, that just lead us in a path that is not God-honoring by the things that we think, by the words that we say and by the actions that we perform. But we praise you. We praise you so much that there is no condemnation. We thank you for the gift of repentance. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who will hound us and bring us back to the foot of the cross, to intimacy with Christ. We give you thanks today in Jesus' name. Amen.